This morning, I'd like to share a message entitled, Knowing and Growing in Jesus. Knowing and Growing in Jesus. If I were to ask you, in the last year or two, have you grown in your walk with the Lord? Have you grown in your walk with the Lord? And what measurables can you point to to say, yes, I've grown in this area. I'm more patient now. Or I'm more kind now, or more generous now, or more prayerful now, or more um, evangelistic and missional now, or I'm, I'm more considerate of other people now since I've been walking with Jesus in the last couple of years. Now, if I were to ask your spouse that question, what would they say? Now, you might say something, but what about your spouse or or your roommate or somebody who's really close to you, somebody who really knows you and sees the real you when you're put under pressure and you feel displeasure and irritation and how you respond? What's that? I'm meddling now? Yeah, this is just my introduction. It's going to get better. Have you grown in, in Second Peter, Peter is concerned with the spiritual growth and health of God's people. As a godly elder, shepherd, apostle, servant of Jesus Christ, somebody who is entrusted to care for the sheep, um, the people of God, he was concerned about the growth, the spiritual growth and health of the people of God. And particularly, he was concerned about ungodly influences of false teachers who would come in and would lure away those who weren't stable, who weren't healthy, and who weren't progressing in in the faith, who weren't growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter uses this word um, knowledge, to know or knowledge, about 13 times in his little epistle of three chapters. He begins in his introduction, in his greeting, with the word, the, uh, with a phrase, the, the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he f- finishes he, with an exhortation in 2 Peter three eighteen, saying, grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Peter is interested, and this is uh, one of his uh, last letters there. We only have two of his in, in the scriptures, but this was late, later on in life. Uh, and he was probably writing the same people he was writing in the first letter. And he's, he's concerned about the spiritual growth and health of God's people, as, as I am as well. And so I'm excited to get into this because I believe that this is what we need to be reminded of and to move forward and flourish as the people of God. And God has already given us what we need to do that. Amen? So let's pray and we'll dig in. Father, thank you. Thank you for the abundant provision you've provided for the people of God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, for all the promises we have. Thank you for the family that you've placed us within. And God, all the opportunities we have to glorify you, to serve others. God, to do what you've called us to do here on this earth. And so this morning, as we open up the pages of Scripture, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, and God, may we not be hearers only, but may we take action upon what you've said. May we may we be intentional and make every effort to grow in godliness and Christ-likeness by the power of your Spirit working within us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Second Peter chapter 1. There's Simon Peter, 
a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire for this very reason make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for if these qualities are yours and are increasing they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our lord jesus christ For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way, there will richly be provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth. I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will, will be soon, as the Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so after my departure, you will be able at any time to recall these things. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So here's where we're going this morning from the text. Namely, that God has given his people all that they need to flourish in life through knowing him. Because of this, they must be intentional about their spiritual progress. God has given you and I, saints, everything that we need to flourish in this life through a relationship with him, through knowing him. Because of this, we must be intentional about our own spiritual progress. This applies on an individual basis. This applies corporately as the church. This applies as our little church garland. As we've sought to to make an impact and make a difference and, and, and we prayed that God you to provide and open doors for us. God brings me back to this truth over and over again that he has given us what we need to flourish as a church. And as, as, a, as a child of God, he's given me what I need to flourish as a child of God. As a husband, as a pastor, as a dad, God has given you and I what we need. Amen. First of all, let's just look at this greeting briefly. Simon Peter, so Simon was Peter's earthly name. And then when he met Jesus, Jesus gave him another name, Peter. 
Cephas, which means a stone. He changed his name and he saw in Peter the potential. He saw what, what he was going to do in and through his life. He didn't just see him with earthly eyes in the flesh, but he saw the, the solid godly man that Peter was going to become by the grace of God and the work that God was going to do through him. Peter's very clear about who this is. Simon Peter, a servant. He describes himself as a servant and apostle. An apostle is a, is a called and a commissioned one who's been, he's been with Jesus. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was one of the twelve. He was walking with Jesus. He heard Jesus teach what he taught and saw Jesus perform miracles, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers. He saw Jesus forgive sinners who were caught in their sin. To those who have obtained a a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. A couple of other versions say uh, those who've been given a faith equal to ours. You know, the, the idea here is that you and I as the people of God have been graced with the faith that we have. With the salvation that we have. And when it comes to the cross, we all have this equal, uh, equal standing because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he describes Jesus as God and Savior, which he affirms the divinity of Jesus Christ here in this. As Paul does and, and as other parts of the New Testament, we believe that Jesus was fully God and fully man. So verse two, he says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ or Jesus, our Lord. And so Peter's introducing this idea of this, this knowledge of God and a couple of um, commentators. One of them, Warren Wearsby, says this about this knowledge of God. The word know or knowledge is used 13 times in this short epistle. The word does not mean a mere intellectual understanding of some truth, though that is included, it means a living participation in the truth in the sense that our Lord used it. In John 17, 3, Jesus said this. He said, this is eternal life that they may know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you sent. Jesus described eternal life as a relationship with the Father and with the Son. He who has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. And so as Christians, we've been brought into a relationship with God. And that changes everything. That changes the entire trajectory of our lives. Okay, and so Peter's going to give us a picture of what that looks like. Now, beginning, let's look at what he says, this this loaded statement. And we could just camp out here in verse 3 and 4 today. He says, his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own, uh, to his own glory and excellence. God's power has given us everything we need to flourish in this life. Uh, one way to think of it is batteries are included. Christmas is coming up here, okay? Isn't it just, just terrible when, when, when your child gets a great gift and there's no batteries in the home? It's Christmas day. Okay, the stores are closed. They get this amazing gift and they're all excited about it. And they're like, where's the batteries? 
Did you get the batteries, hon? Did you, no, I didn't get, did you get the batteries? We went to bed at three o'clock last night. Come on, how are we gonna get the batteries? And, and there's no batteries to use this amazing toy that was given, this gift that was given. Thankfully, God is not a, a shysty on dishing out power to the people of God. God not only pardons us of our sins as Christians, he forgives all our sins, but when we become Christians, the batteries are included. The power has been provided for you and I to live godly lives. God's already done this. And I love what Peter does, what Paul does, the New Testament writers do is before they give the imperatives, often in their epistles, before they say, do this, do this, live like this, they say, this is what God's done. Okay, this is what God's done for you. Get this. Now live like it. Okay, now there's a danger here. If we just if we just camp out on all the do's. There's a danger. Many young Christians fall into this, this trap where they focus on all the do's of Christianity and they think Christianity is all about just doing stuff. But they, but they haven't taken time to really reflect on what Christ has done for them. The grace of God, the power that has been provided through the knowledge of Him, through a relationship with Him, knowing Jesus Christ. Okay, there's this power that's been provided. And so so if if we fall into this trap of it's all about the do, but we don't tie that in and marry that with what God has done for us and what God has provided for us. It's a recipe for burnout. It's a recipe for legalism and moralism and religion that will just wear you out. Jesus said his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And how could he say that? When he has such high demands for following him, like giving up everything, forsaking everything to follow him. Well, one of the ways I think this, this, that can be true is the reality that he gives us power. He gives us grace. He gives us strength. It's not just us doing for God. It's us abiding in him and walking with him in relationship with him and through that connection we have power and life and fruit comes forth through us it's not just us like a branch trying to straining to produce an, an apple Ugh! just got to make an apple our our job is to be connected to the vine and he produces his life through us reproduces the life of his the fruit of the spirit through us amen And so his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And it's through a knowledge of him. Uh, I'd like to think of the batteries that he's given us as rechargeable batteries. Okay, Uh, we have to continue to stay connected and get recharged in our relationship with him through prayer, through spending time in his word. Um, But there's this unending source of power that is available to you and I as Christians. So there's no excuse for us to surrender to sinful habits, to surrender to discouragement and woe is me. I'm never going to I'm never going to overcome this. Um, God's given us what we need. Uh, what does first Corinthians 10, uh, 13 say that no temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful And with each temptation, he will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability, but he will make a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. 
So when we blow it, it's not that God hasn't provided a way for us and he hasn't given us the power. He has. He's faithful to give us what we need to overcome sin and every obstacle that we're faced in this life. And then even when we blow it, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins when we confess them. I've shared with you guys before when I went on a trip uh, with Kendall's family to Colorado, we went up into the mountains. We we had two cars. One of them had four-wheel drive and the other one didn't have four-wheel drive. This is a picture of where we were at. We were way up in the mountains and we came to this one-lane road. We passed a sign that said four-wheel drive only. I was in the, I was in the vehicle that had four wheel drive, so I was good. But my brother-in-law, he was back there with the car load, uh, in a vehicle that didn't have four wheel drive. And you see right in the middle, you can see this little white spot there. That's the, uh, the forerunner that got stuck on this one lane road. And you see how loose these rocks are? Now what you can't see is down there in the valley, there's a vehicle that was flattened and burned that didn't make it. Okay? And so we were, they were kind of stuck. Actually, we were, we were stuck. Okay. And so there was no going forward here. The only way to get out of this situation was to abandon the vehicle altogether or, or just slowly back your way down the mountain there. And so that's what we did. That's what we, my, my brother-in-law was backing it up. He had the window open. Uh, one of his cousins were on, on one side between the vehicle and the side of the, the, cliff there and i was on the other side thinking i'll i'll pull him out you know if if it goes down i'll pull him out real quick i don't want to lose my brother-in-law the cousin i don't know what he was thinking because i don't think he was going to be able to hold that vehicle up on that side they they would both go down but but thankfully god was gracious and merciful it was it was very an intense moment um but we we lived to we lived to make it and six months later i was able to officiate his wedding and use this as a, as an illustration, letting him and his wife know as Christians, they need four wheel drive. And as Christians, they have four wheel drive because there are obstacles that come in this life. And you know what? Your human willpower and your intellect, your brains and your smarts and your willpower isn't enough. To make it through the obstacles that life's going to throw at you, you need the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life. And you need the power of the gospel that changes us from the inside out working in your life. And as Christians, you and I possess this power. We have four-wheel drive. Now, if you're here today and you're stuck, you feel like this, you may just need to like hit the four-wheel drive button there, okay? Say, God, would you give me some power here to overcome this struggle? Because you've promised that you've given me power. You've said it, that there's a power that works towards us who believe. And I believe you. And so I ask that you would give me strength. What I, You know, the same Peter who saw Jesus heal lepers, cast out demons, raise the dead. He saw the power of God manifested to do miraculous things and heal physical bodies and drive out demonic spirits. Peter is saying here that same power is available to you and I, not, not just for to do some, some physical things, but to, to overcome some spiritual things in our lives, some character defects, some sinful habits. That same power is given to us to overcome that that unkindness within us that impatience
that, that those addictions, those habits that, that we struggle with, the power of God is available for us. Amen. The next thing is, is that God prom- God's promises given to us have a purifying effect on our lives. Notice verse four, by which he has granted to us precious and very great promises. Peter likes to use this word precious. He used it several times. And in the uh, first Peter, he described our faith as precious. He described in chapter one, chapter two, Jesus as precious. Uh, he described uh, women, godly women who have a, a gentle and a quiet spirit. It's precious in the sight of God. And here again, he's saying the promises of God, they're precious and they're very great. Before I go on here, let me just ask you, are God's promises precious to you? Are they do you do you cherish them? Are, are they life-giving to you and really, really special to you, like something that's really valuable that you might have in your home? And so you watch it, you, you make sure you know where it's at, and you protect it, and you don't let it get taken. You're, you're holding on to it. You know, one of the ways that, that we display and demonstrate that God's promises are precious to us is the amount of time we spend thinking and talking about them. Okay? David said, your word I've treasured in my heart. That I might not sin against you. So these promises are precious and they have a purifying effect on the people of God. Notice the second part there. So that through them you may become partakers of divine nature. Okay, now let me clarify too. I don't think he's saying what some religions teach that you can attain divinity like you become God, right? Okay, that's not, that's not what he's talking about here. Um, you've become partakers of his divine nature. I think at least it's talking about you and I possessing the Holy Spirit and possessing the characteristics of God, namely love and, and his, what, what he's like. The children tend to reflect their parents in many ways, right? And so these promises, they have a purifying effect on us because we, through them, we become partakers of divine nature and having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now, just think about what are some promises of God that you know? Just just name them out. What are some promises of God that you know? Eternal life. God promises you and I eternal life to those of us who believe, right? That's a free gift. That's right. Man, that's amazing. Okay, what else? His presence. He'll never leave us. His abiding presence, he'll never leave us or forsake us. What else? The Holy Spirit, yeah. You know, Peter in Acts 2, he preached a powerful message that 3,000 people came to Christ under. And uh, he said, there's this promise that God talked about. And the promise is to you and your children and all who are far off. And, and that's the Holy Spirit. That you not you not only get forgiveness of your sins. Forgiveness of your sins is one of those promises. He forgives and cleanses us, right? But you get the presence of God living inside of you. See, who He's sealed us um, along with the, the presence of the Holy Spirit. God promises us guidance in this life. He leads us and he guides us. He teaches us truth. Okay, how about any, any other promises y'all can think of? He works all things together for our good. He takes evil acts and tensions and and he turns it for our good that's a profound promise that we could camp out on okay so the 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 bible's loaded with promises 
And think of them, um, think of them kind of like a check. If, if you were given a check, you got to cash in that check if it's going to have any value to you, right? And so one of the ways that we can apply that is by believing God's promises. And there, there are promises that God says are already, already fulfilled. Okay. Like he's given us the Holy Spirit. There's also future promises. And there's conditional promises that we have where God says, if you do this, I'm going to do this, right? Um, there's unconditional promises and then there's conditional promises. There's future promises. What's a future promise here? Peter mentioned this in first Peter chapter one. And, and he alluded to it in, in throughout first Peter. First Peter, we have an inheritance. We have an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled kept in heaven for us. We have this great inheritance, a new heavens and a new earth. We're promised a world, okay? And, and Peter will, will mention this again. A, a new heavens and new earth, a world of perfect love and peace and justice where there's no more sickness, suffering, death, sorrow, and war. That's amazing. And and so what, what happens when, when we get a hold of these promises and these sink in and we realize, whoa, this is a real check. This isn't one of those fake ones they send in the mail that just kind of tricks you to get you to call in. This is a real check. This is from God. I can trust that this is legit. He, I, I'm, I'm going to trust in his word. And, 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 you know, there's a part of it, the inheritance we don't get to experience fully yet. We got this already, not yet that the Bible tells us we live in. Okay. We're, we're, we're part of the kingdom now, but there's still more of the kingdom to come. Like we have been saved and we're being saved and we will be saved, right? When we believe these promises and, and we take them to heart, they have this purifying effect on our lives. John says this. He says, everyone who has this hope of seeing Jesus, he says, we will see Jesus and become like him. First John three, two. And everyone, well, let me, let me just read it because here's a, here's a great, description of the already not yet first john 3 says see what kind of love the father has given to us okay his love has been poured out into his hearts that we should be called children of god we are children of god now that's an already thing that's happened okay and so we are the reason why the world does not know us is that is that it did not know him beloved we are god's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. The promise of Jesus' return. He's coming back. And when we see him, we're going to be transformed and become like him. I think that's an aspect of what it means to be called to his glory and to be partakers of his glory and share in this glorious inheritance is that we get these new bodies resurrected bodies glorious bodies with no more disease decay or dandruff i'm gonna get my hair back i'm looking forward to it and so these promises look look at what john says john says everyone who who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure you see, these promise, the future promises have this, this hope that it points us to, this future hope. And this, this future hope, the influence of the, the hope that the promises of God give to the people of God, they, they, they pure, they have this purifying influence on us. Cause we're reminded this isn't, this isn't it. I'm not gonna be greedy and just hold on to everything cause this life isn't it. I, I I'm gonna serve and, and humble myself and serve those around me because 
this life isn't it. God sees and he will reward. I'm going to be faith. I'm going to pray. I'm going to give myself to prayer because God will reward faithfulness in prayer. Uh, and so on. And the list goes on. I'm going to read God's word because his words are true. When we have a, a grasp of the promises of God, when we know them and they sink in, they have this purifying effect on our lives. Okay, now let's get to our response. I should have left some more time here, but I'm, I'm I get so excited about this stuff. So my tendency is to camp out here. Look at what God has done. Okay, but we can't just stay there because we need to take some action. Based on what he has done, we need to respond. That's our responsibility. And I love that the Bible has both. This is what God has done sovereignly, graciously. He's lavished his mercy and grace and blessing on you. Okay? But don't just sit on your blessed assurance and wait for Jesus to come back. In passivity, take action. There's work to be done. Okay? There's work to be done missionally. But also there's work to be done internally in our hearts, in our lives. And that's what Peter says. Verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Virtue with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. Self-control with steadfastness. Steadfastness with godliness. Godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. Beautiful list here. Now I got a picture of a guy at a gym there. How many of you got a gym membership? How many are you going to get one come January and, and then you won't have one in February? I enjoy going to the gym and I get a lot of inspiration being at it. Just it's helpful for me to be around others who are working out and being at the gym doesn't put muscles on your body. Having a gym membership does not put muscles on your body. I mean, you there are, there are people that just hang out at the gym and don't really work out much, right? It doesn't do much good for your body. Okay. You have to sweat. You have to make some effort. If there's going to be progress, there has to be effort. So don't fall into the, the, the lie. Don't, don't give in to the false thinking that there's no effort in the Christian life. Because there is. The Apostle Paul talked about it. Okay? Now it's not merely our effort, merely our willpower. It's, God working in us to will and to do his good pleasure. It's Paul described in, in Colossians 1.29 as his power that works in me. He says, I toil, I strain, and it's God's work, it's his power in me. We have to make some effort. We have to respond. We have to take some action. Just like anybody who has a gym membership has to actually work out to experience the benefits of that membership, right? Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, so let's look at some of these things that the apostle Peter gives as you might want to, you might call these the seven habits of a highly effective Christian. <laughs> seven habits of a highly effective Christian. Actually, let me, let me, let me go to that. Seven habits of a highly effective Christian. Here they are. There's a little chart there of them. One of the analogies that I thought about, or actually that Bridger uh, t brought up this week when I was talking with him, was he talked about concrete. We were discussing concrete and the elements that are in concrete. There's eight eight different elements that are in concrete to, to make it what it is, right? And those have to be mixed together and there has to be some water, right? They make this solid material that we use for our roads, we use for our homes, we use for all kinds of things. And Peter is giving you and I a vision here 
of what we need in our lives, what consists of a godly, solid Christian life, what it's made of, made up of, some of the elements that makes up the solid Christian life there. So let's look at what they are. Virtue, which is moral excellence. It describes anything that fulfills its purpose or function properly. In this context, it means a Christian who fulfills his or her calling. The next one is knowledge. Add to your, your faith, uh, moral excellence or virtue, the virtue to knowledge. And this means understanding, correct insight, truth, properly comprehended and applied. This virtue involves a diligent study and a pursuit of truth in God's word. As the people of God, we are a learning people. The, first, the early church was a learning people. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, prayer, to breaking of bread, to fellowship. As disciples, students, we're in school. <laughs> and we're, it's till the day we die. We, we are followers of Jesus. We're students of Jesus. And we have room to grow. As long as we're alive, we got room to grow. If, even if you're like Dick, who's been walking with the Lord for 60, 60 years? Man, that's just amazing. 60, 63 years. He's been walking with the Lord for 63 years. Godly saints who've been walking with the Lord for many years will tell you they haven't arrived. They got room to grow in Christ likeness, right? We got room to grow in knowledge and understanding. There's so much about God to continue to learn as Christians and not only to learn, but to apply to our lives, right? And so may we be a learning community who values the knowledge of God, knowing him relationally, but also knowing intimately and accurately the scriptures and what he has said. Self-control. Okay, it's not enough to just know, know a lot of stuff, but we need to practice it in our own life. This is mastery of self, discipline, moderation, controlling one's desires and passions. Proverbs talks about the value of self-control and that a, a person without self-control is like a city that doesn't have walls to de- defend itself, right? Walls were given as, built as a protective elements to to those who might try to invade and the person who lacks self-control is vulnerable to all kinds of attacks and temptations of the enemy all right self-control is a fruit of the spirit so he works that in us he gives us this and in one sense i would say and as i would agree with one of the commentators who highlighted this in one sense we all have these things in a sense as christians but it's it, what Peter's calling us to do is to grow in these things. God's given us the, the, the basic elements needed for us to grow in these things. Kind of like a baby. Okay? The baby, a baby who's born has, has all the, within their body, a healthy baby has what they need to grow. They just need nurture, love, care, food, right? Rest on all those basic necessities and they're gonna grow up, right? And as Christians, we have, God's provided what we need to flourish as Christians, but we need to be intentional about growing in these things. Like, particularly love, God, Romans 5, 5 says, when we become Christians, when we believe, God pours out into our hearts the love of God. Like, this is in Christians, but, but oh, do we have room to grow in becoming more loving people, right? Um, steadfastness, literally, means to remain under something such as a heavy load 
Um, godliness refers to behavior that reflects the character of God. Brotherly kindness, well, the Greek is Philadelphia. Does it sound familiar? The city of brotherly love. Philadelphia is um, thoughtful consideration of fellow believers. And y'all know what love is. Love seeks the welfare of the person loved above its of the person loved above its own welfare. Recently, I bought a, a little container of pre-mixed concrete because we have some little areas uh, in our garage and in our front uh, sidewalk and porch that needed some some work done on it. And I applied those that concrete made a mess, kind of, and it was just it was interesting just kind of working with it. But all those elements needed to create that concrete and to harden and do what it does was all packaged up in there for me. How convenient, right? Just eight bucks or so, you know, less than 10 bucks, you get this little thing and put it right in there, right? As Christians, we have, we have this pre-mixed package, if you will. Batteries are included, if you will. God's given us what we need. We need to grow in them and make effort, take action, be intentional. And notice what Peter says, he says, if we don't, if we're not intentional about in, in these areas, if we lack these areas in our lives, nine says, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind. Okay. Having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So if, if we're not progressing in our, in our spiritual life in our, in our walk with the Lord, we need to get our eyes checked. We need an examination. We, we need, we need fresh sight. And we have gospel amnesia, as some authors describe it. We've forgotten that we've been cleansed from our former sins. Alright? Now some theologians would say this, this, these aren't Christians or these are Christians that just aren't progressing. I think, I think all of God's people need continual reminders of what He's done. And one of the reasons why we partake of communion every week is because we have a tendency towards gospel amnesia. We have a tendency to forget what Christ has done for us and what that means, the implications in our lives of being saved and held by grace. Okay? Verse 10 and 11 here, he gives some assurance that's, that comes along with those who do progress in these qualities. He says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. If you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the internal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, let me first make clear what I don't think Peter's saying. I don't think Peter's saying that you have to earn your way in the heaven. Okay? He's already made that clear in his first epistle. And in this epistle, he's already told us that God has given us what he's given us freely, right? It's already been provided for us in Christ. Uh, we've been born, First Peter 1 tells us we've been, according to the mercies of God, he's caused us to be born again. He's called us, he's chosen us. But when we grow in these particular qualities as followers of Jesus Christ, we confirm God's calling and election on our lives. That He, that He has called us. Okay? That He has chosen us. That we, that we do belong to Him. And the assurance as Christians is strengthened. The assurance that we need as Christians, because we can point to scripture where scripture says, this is what a Christian looks like. First John. 
They love their brother. And they practice righteousness. First, first John says, I've written these things that you may know that you have eternal life. This is what it looks like. If you possess eternal life, you got a genuine walk in a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's these qualities of love and godliness or righteousness. Uh, Peter describes and John describes. And he says, you'll never fall. For in this way, you'll richly be provided. Verse 11, for in this way, you'll richly be provided an entrance into the eternal kingdom. I don't know about you, but when I get to heaven, I don't want and I don't want to be like those in Paul describes in first Corinthians three, that they make it in the heaven as they go. They go through the fire of God's judgment or their works do. And but they make it in heaven, but. They're there empty handed, if you will, because their works, everything they've done is described as wood, hay and stubble. Okay, they may they'll be saved like first Corinthians three says they'll they'll make it. But as through fire, right? Or those who've done develop these qualities and have lived godly lives, their works are described as precious stones, gold and silver that make it through the fire. And there's a reward when I make it to heaven. I look forward to hearing Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. A rich entrance provided into the kingdom of God. Again, I don't think we have to earn our way in there. I think that true Christians are secure, eternally secure, and they will make it there. And the the progress in their life is just evidence of the genuineness of their faith and of their salvation. Let me just close in this here, uh, last little section. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in, in, in the truth that you have. It is, I think it's right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. Does anybody ever get aggravated or irritated by consistent reminders from your spouse or uh, maybe your kids uh, sometimes get irritated when you remind them of things, right? We need reminders, even of things that we already know. We need to be reminded because we have this tendency to forget, like the children of Israel. Okay, In Deuteronomy, there's, there's a big theme of, of remember the Lord your God. Don't forget. We have this tendency towards gospel amnesia. And so we need reminders. And we need to remind ourselves, remind one another of, of what God's word says, remind ourselves of the basics. One of the things we're doing on Wednesday nights is we're just going over the basics in, in the 2-7 series. And for many of us, the reminders of things we've already learned. But yet we need to continue to practice those basics because they're so fundamental to the Christian faith. So depend on God's power to grow spiritually and get victory over your sin. Are you trying to fight your sin struggles with your own power, with your own mere willpower, isolated from other Christians and isolated from bringing it to God in prayer, saying, God, forgive me, help me to overcome this. First, James 5.16 says, confess your sins one to another, pray for one another that you might be healed. One of the ways that we can fight sin is to confess it not only to God, but to our brothers and sisters. And God will give us what we need to overcome that. Romans 8.13 says that we're to, by the, by the Holy Spirit, we're to put to death the deeds of the body by the power of the Spirit. So it's not left just to you by yourself. Become intimately acquainted with God's promises and believe them for your life. 
Do you, do you know the promises of God? Are they precious to you? And are you believing them, clinging to them, standing on them in your prayer life? Are you making those promises a basis of your request to God? Say, God, you said this. I ask you for this. Um, be intentional about doing the next right thing and avoid the spirit, spiritual coasting. Spiritual progress does not come by coasting. We don't just coast our way into spiritual maturity and spiritual progress. And so push back on, if you ever have that, that way, way of thinking that you're just going to coast into spiritual growth, um, push back on that because we have to, we have to be intentional. We have to make effort and we have to be responsible as the people of God. In the game of basketball, a player who is fouled often has the chance to shoot a free throw worth one point. It should be one of the easiest plays in the sport, in sports. It's, it's a direct unguarded shot at the basket and the conditions are exactly the same every single time. Yet for decades, elite players have only averaged between 70% and 75% from the foul line. For the past 20 years, Larry Silverberg, an engineer at North Carolina State University, has studied the physics of the free throw. His findings show that a successful free throw has four perimeters. The speed at which you release the ball, how straight you shoot it, the angle, and the amount of the backspin. Surprisingly, Silverberg says there's very little separating the best from the average free throw shooters. Average free throw shooters are often pretty plenty consistent. They're just, they're just consistent at doing the wrong things. That's actually good news because it suggests that sharpshooters are made, not born. Making free throws has little to do with the inborn talent of athleticism and almost everything to do with hard work. That might explain why the best free throw shooter on earth, at least in practice settings, isn't a pro basketball player, but Bob Fisher of age 62 years old, a soil conservation technician from Kansas. By his own admission, Fisher is no standout athlete. I'm like a million guys, he says. I played basketball in high school. I played recreationally until I was 44. A few years later, in his early 50s, he started practicing free throws every day at the local gym. Within a couple of months, he was consistently sinking more than 100 shots in a row. Fisher says it's all about preparation and practice. Now, if I would ask you who's the, who's had the most free throws in the world, who's, who's the best free throw shooter in the world, you would probably, you would probably think a professional athlete. But here's just an average guy, okay, who practiced, who worked hard at just making that simple free throw shot. What we talked about today in these qualities are basics. That every Christian can practice and excel in and, and, and honor God and, and develop Christ-like character so that when you see him, there will be much glory and much joy. Amen? And so let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us what we need. And I pray, Father, that we would obey that we would apply this to our lives, that we would be people of action, people who experience the joy and the blessedness of, of doing, doing what you've called us to do. 
I pray that we would treasure your promises, God, that, that we would uh, pour out our lives to, to study your word, but also to, to do it, to, to respond. And I pray that as we do, that we would get to know you better and that we would become more like Jesus. I pray for anybody here who's struggling and just feels stuck. And I pray that you would bring them out of that rut. That their four-wheel drive would kick in. And that they would start to walk in victory by trusting in your power and not their own. Leaning on the truth of your word and not their own understanding. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May he lift up the light of his countenance on you and give you his peace.